Well, I am thankful for those who are worshiping here in our Georgetown Worship Center. Thankful for those who are worshiping with us, part of our church family in Liberty Hill and the gym venue. In fact, we got church family all over the world. I started thinking in my head that people I know from our church family in different countries, even this morning, worshiping the Lord, different cities. And so it's exciting to think that our church family gathers here and our church family gathers in other places. And today we get to worship the Lord together. I am so excited every Sunday coming to preach Revelation. I mean, every Sunday... I come excited during the week as I prepare. I'm getting excited. I can't wait to get here. And today is no exception. I am very excited about sharing this passage with you. We're going to walk through all of Revelation chapter 12 today. It's a story unfolding in the form of a vision that John sees. And let's begin talking about this story together. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to see a couple scenes in the story unfold, and then right in the middle of the story, we're going to see this incredible declaration of a future promise, and we're going to hear this exhortation to rejoice in this severe warning that we should not miss. So let's jump into the story. Let's read the first six verses to get us started. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she was there. There she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now this first scene in the vision that appears in the heavens for John is a scene where there are characters playing out the vision. And these characters, some of which we are told about, are important to understanding the nature of the vision. Now, one of the characters, the red dragon, later in the story, we're told this is Satan, the devil. Then we have this character, the child, and we're going to see through what has been said about the child in the vision, we can conclude with confidence that the child is Jesus Christ. First of all, this is a story of a woman giving birth to a child And in the scripture, there is no more significant story of the birth of a child to a woman than the story of Jesus Christ being born to Mary. We hear in this first scene of the vision that this red dragon, Satan, wants to destroy or devour the child. We see in the Gospels how Satan is working, seeking to destroy Jesus. We see that this child is described as a child who will rule with a rod of iron. We've already heard that be a description of Jesus' authority back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 27, 
where the authority of Jesus Christ is described as one ruling with a rod of iron. We'll see that description again in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, where Jesus is described as ruling with a rod of iron. We understand that there are some clear things in here about the child right in this first vision that give us confidence to say the child is Jesus. We know the red dragon is Satan. The child is Jesus. We also know that this passage, this first scene tells us that Jesus is going to ascend to God and sit on his throne. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, we're told that overcomers, Jesus says, the one who overcomes will actually join him on his throne And then Jesus says this, as I overcame and joined my father on his throne. So we know that the only person that's going to be sitting on the throne of God is Jesus Christ. So this child is clearly Jesus. So then we have to answer the question, who is the woman? Now certainly we know that Mary gave birth to Jesus, but it seems like in this vision that this woman is far more than just symbolizing Mary. You've got this woman who is clothed in the sun with the moon her feet and 12 stars, a crown over her head. 12 stars gives us some indication that we could be talking about here the, the people of God, Israel. And so the woman here in this vision likely represents Israel because from Israel came the Messiah. So what you have in the first vision is actually an account through the form of a story vision of Jesus' life from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way to his ascension. So that you're seeing this story in summary version that God chose a people and he called them out to be his own people. And from that people, the Israelites, came forth a Messiah. And Jesus Christ was born, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven to sit on the throne of God. So you have the whole account right here of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. In addition to that, you have this picture of the people of God being protected in a special way for a time because of the attack of the enemy. So there's your first vision. Now let's, let's look at the second vision. Also another flashback, verse 7. There was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying. So right after the second scene that gives John this picture of what happened to Satan, his his being overcome in the heavens in this great battle, being cast down to the earth along with his angels, you hear this great declaration of this future promise. You remember last week you talked about the future promise of Christ's reign and reward. Here it is again mentioned in this vision in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down 
he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So there's your break in the story, and this great declaration is given. And what we need to clue into is the fact that Jesus' reign and rule is a promise that will come to fruition and results in the rejoicing of all heaven. And this is going to happen. But while we wait, there is a warning given to those who dwell upon the earth. Satan has been cast down and he wages war. Let's keep reading verse 13 as the story in the vision picks back up. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus." So in this final scene of the vision, we see the the devil enraged, continuing to make war against the woman, persecuting the woman. But there comes a time of protection where the devil cannot persecute the woman as he formerly had. And under that time of protection, the devil enlarges his focus and now begins to focus his waging of war on those who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ, who keep the commandments of God. This is a declaration of the war of our enemy upon those who dwell upon the earth who are the people of God and the children of the woman, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus, the church And so we know that we are living in a spiritual battle where the enemy, Satan, is attacking the people of God and has leveled his aim on the church. So if you receive this letter, it was sent out to the churches in the days it was written. You might be asking yourself a question. Why is it that ever since we decided to follow Jesus Christ and we have been striving to be the best followers of Christ we possibly can be, why is it that so many difficulties and hardships, persecutions and threats have come upon us? 
It seems like the more we try to follow Christ, the harder our lives get. You may have asked the same question. You may have asked that question this week. You may be asking that question this morning. Why do difficulties happen when we're trying to follow Christ? Well, the answer to that question is right here in Revelation 12. But so is our great hope. Why do bad things happen to people who want to follow Christ? Because we are living in a spiritual war. And we have a real enemy who is raging in all his fury. And he is attacking those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. The more you hold to the testimony of Jesus, the more you will be attacked. That is Revelation 12. Communicating to us, I'll tell you why your life is hard when you follow Jesus Christ, because you have a real enemy. And that enemy is out to attack you. That enemy is out to destroy, to deceive, to distract, to ruin. We have a real enemy, and we live today in a real spiritual battle. Listen to these, these passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, spiritual fortresses. We, we are not living in a time where we fight against flesh and blood as Christians. We are living in a time where our fight is against Spiritual forces of darkness. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are in the middle of a spiritual war. And Revelation chapter 12 is given to us right where we live as we ask very similar questions of why are things so hard when we want to follow Christ so closely? Because we're in a war and we have an enemy that is attacking us. This spiritual war is real. And this passage is our Great hope. Do you know what this Revelation 12 passage communicates to us? That in this spiritual war, the victory is already won. Now, I'm going to say something in just a second. When I say it, it'd be an appropriate time for a big loud amen, all right? I'm giving you a forewarning here. Here it is. We are not fighting a spiritual war for victory. We are fighting a spiritual battle of victory. You get that? 
We are battling against a real enemy, but the victory is won. We are not striving as if we need to get victory. We are striving because victory has already been accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. We have a defeated foe, and the victory is already won. But that does not mean that our foe is not still dangerous. He is defeated. He has been overcome. Jesus Christ is victorious in his resurrection from the dead. He is seated on the throne of God. But our enemy is raging in the time he has left, seeking to destroy, distract, and devour everyone, anyone he possibly can. So our enemy is real, and he is dangerous. The victory is sure, and we will overcome. You you notice that the rejoicing in heaven is over the fact that Jesus is victorious and his reign has come and we overcome in his victory. We already know because of Jesus Christ's victory that we will overcome. We just got to walk through it and walking through the victory of Christ is a battle. And that's why we're instructed right here in this passage as to how we should battle. I want you to think about our enemy and what we learn about our enemy right here in this passage. When it comes to spiritual warfare that we have to engage in every day as followers of Christ, this passage makes it clear that our enemy is the deceiver of the world. The description here is that Satan deceives the world. Do do you know the way Satan has deceived our world? He has deceived our world into believing that the battles that exist in our world are battles against flesh and blood. That's what he's done. Anytime somebody treats you poorly, anytime somebody hurts you, anytime something happens that you think is unfair, anytime that you think, man, I wish I had at least what they had. No, really what I wish is I had more than what they had. Anytime you feel like, man, they should treat me different because I deserve something better. All of those kinds of feelings and thoughts that we have as we live in this broken world create the perception that our issue is really with other people. And what Satan has done is he's deceived the world to actually bring the world to the place where it thinks that the real issues that I face in trying to get what I really need are with other people. What I want is security. What I want is to belong. What I want are possessions. What I want is advancement. What I want is purpose. And all of these things that our hearts want, the enemy has deceived the world into believing you can get it if you just compete with other people and win. Or you fight against other people and you defeat them. You will get all the things your heart wants and longs for if you get into this world and you advance. And so we battle against flesh and blood. We think that if I can prove to that person they're wrong and make them say that I'm right, I'll feel better. 
If I can get this position or this possession and it's better than what somebody else has, I'll feel more significant. Somebody hurts me and I can have revenge on that somebody, well, then I'll be a lot better off for the rest of my life because they'll be a lot worse off. And we begin to believe that the things we long for in our hearts can actually be attained by fighting against other people. And the deception of the enemy is so significant that once we begin to do that, we realize it wasn't nearly as fulfilling and satisfying as I thought it would be. I must need more or I must need to do something else like that to have more. So we get caught in this cycle of battling against flesh and blood. And, and Satan has deceived our world. So the world engages in that pursuit and is caught in the cycle of finding ways to get more for themselves, all the while fueled by the fact that none of it satisfies them completely. But what Jesus Christ has done by rescuing us out of this world, he has enabled us to re-enter this world and battle spiritually in the midst of the natural battle that is the playground of the enemy's deception. And so we re-enter our world having been saved by Jesus Christ, knowing the victory is certain, knowing we will overcome, and knowing the enemy has deceived the world to think that there is a battle raging against each other that they need to win. And we re-enter that world, and here's what we do. We battle not against flesh and blood, but we battle for flesh and blood. My problem is never the person who mistreats me. My problem is never the person who has more than I do. My problem is never the, the unfairness of the way that other people act towards me. That's not my problem ever because my battle, your battle, is not against flesh and blood. And anytime somebody lashes out to you and hurts you, anytime somebody treats you unfairly, anytime something doesn't work out like you want it to, that's just a reminder for those who are in Christ we do not fight the natural battle where the enemy is deceiving the world. No, we can see clearly that that does not satisfy. What we're going to do is live in the world in such a way that the world can see there is a gospel of Jesus Christ that sets the captives free. The enemy has gathered people to believe there is a natural war that is more important than anything else and holds them captive in that deception. But the gospel of Jesus Christ can set people free because our enemy is defeated. That's right. It's amazing. So we know that our battle is for the souls of people around whom we live. How else... Will they come to know Christ if we do not tell them? The battle that rages against us is to render us ineffective in telling other people about Jesus Christ. You know how the enemy does it? He's the great accuser. He's the accuser of those who follow Christ. You know what the enemy does? He accuses us of things that are true. That's the power in the accusation. So the enemy comes at us and tells us that we are the failures that our failures represent. 
The enemy comes against us and tells us we're not good enough, which we know. The enemy comes and tells us that you're a bad example of what it means to follow Christ, and we know that. The enemy reminds us of how little we've spent time seeking the Lord, how little we've prayed for so-and-so who doesn't know Christ. The enemy reminds us of that sin that nobody else knows we've done and we're trying to cover up and fix on our own. The enemy knows the things that we've failed in and the enemy is so good at reminding us of truths that make us feel like we have nothing to offer our world. He's the great accuser and the power in his accusation is truth. We have sinned. We have failed. We do not walk with Christ like we want to walk with Christ. We know that we are not yet what we want to become and we often realize we're simply not becoming it like we hoped we would. And the enemy accuses and accuses and accuses. Revelation 12 is our great hope because Revelation 12 tells us how we overcome the accusations of our defeated enemy. Here it is, simple as this. We overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am, let me just tell you, I'm going to be real honest here. There is no way that I can get up here every Sunday and preach the word of God to you with unbelievable confidence and passion except for the blood of Jesus Christ because here's the thing this last week I didn't live perfectly I didn't pray as much as I'd like to I didn't have the best attitude all the time I found myself being tempted into the battle against flesh and blood And at times gave in to that temptation. I found myself afraid of certain things this last week. Shouldn't have been afraid of. And if I stand here every Sunday and I listen to the accusations of the enemy, he speaks a word that's true. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough to proclaim the truth. I have not been the follower of Christ that I should be if I believed in Christ. I am struggling. You know, I, I hear the accusations in my, in my mind, in my heart, and they are true. But here's what's more true. Jesus Christ's blood has washed me clean. And I stand before you not on the basis of what I have done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. The only way we can proclaim the truth of God's gospel to the world in which we live is if we let the blood of Christ wash us clean and we cling to the forgiveness that's found only in Him. You know how I stand here every Sunday with this energy and passion? It's because I am clinging to the blood of Jesus. He's my only hope. If not for the blood of Jesus, I would be lost. But because of Jesus Christ, I have a testimony. And the devil tells me that I am not fit to stand and proclaim the word of God. And I say to the devil, you are right, but that's not the defining story. 
The defining story is that Jesus Christ has made me fit and I will rest in his righteousness and I will proclaim the gospel no matter what you say about me because what Jesus Christ says about me defines me. What I did in my sin does not define me. Though it may be true and your accusations may be accurate, what Jesus Christ says about me will be my definition. My testimony will be what Jesus Christ says about me. You know how we overcome? the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not easy, right? This is hard work because here's what happens in my life. Here's what happens in your life. We say yes to the blood of Jesus Christ. We affirm the testimony that we can proclaim about what Christ has said about us. And then we start living Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we get around people and we begin to think, well, maybe my battle is against them because they're really a jerk. And I'd like to take them, you know, to share a few words with them. And then next thing we know, we're reminded again and again in the deception of the enemy in this broken world that we got problems with people. We never have problems with people. We have opportunities to proclaim the gospel because our battle is never against flesh and blood. It is for people to see the love of Christ. And so what I have to do is every day, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do this every day, I try to get into God's word so that God's word washes over my mind and heart, reminding me of my new testimony that Jesus Christ has written down for me so that I don't forget it. Because I am quick to forget. I am broken here. I got a body scarred with sin that I'm going to be carrying until the day of Christ. And, and my tendency, my propensity is to drift and to forget who I am in Christ and to listen to the accusations of the enemy or be affected by the world in which I live. And I begin to think there's a better story, a truer story that's not Christ's story about me. And I drift and I've got to daily be reminded of who Christ is and what he has done for me and who I am in him. So every day I got to let the identity of Christ wash over my heart and mind so I'm reminded of who I am in Christ so that I encounter my day knowing full well I will be under spiritual attack. And the only way to overcome is if I find myself resting in the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony, what Jesus says about me. And if I will do that, if I just keep doing that every day of my life, I keep letting the, the testimony of Jesus wash over my mind and heart so it becomes my testimony based on the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens. Notice that Revelation 12 tells us that the people who overcome in this great time of judgment do not love their life but are willing to die for Jesus Christ. So they're given a choice. Deny Jesus Christ and live or choose Jesus Christ and die. And what do they do? They choose Christ and they die. How do you get there? You cling to the blood of Christ. You hold to the word of the testimony of Jesus' definition of who you are. And as you do that in the midst of the battle, you know what you come to know more and more? That knowing and following Jesus Christ is life. Knowing 
in following Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like, whatever it costs me, knowing and following Jesus is life. And when you get to the place where you realize that knowing and following Jesus is life, the blood of Jesus is everything. Wash me clean, set me on a path of purpose. The testimony of Christ given to me in the word is my testimony. And now I know that life is knowing Christ. When you get to that place of knowing that life is knowing Christ, guess what? The enemy is of no threat to you. He can do whatever he wants. And anything he levies against you in the form of any attack when your life is Christ loses its power and then becomes a platform for the display of the gospel to a world that's captive to the deception of Satan. Isn't that incredible? If we simply walk with Christ, finding ourselves under the blood of Christ, redefined by who Christ is, proclaiming that testimony in the face of every attack, we will come to know that Jesus Christ is life and it will not matter what Satan does to us. Because every attempt to squelch us in all his attacks will simply become opportunities for a louder message of Jesus Christ. The end of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison, a concentration camp, awaiting his execution. Hitler gave the order for Bonhoeffer to be executed. The war was practically over, just days away from being done, days away from Hitler committing suicide. Hitler knew he was a defeated enemy, but he was still dangerous, and he ordered the execution of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Before Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was executed on the gallows, he sat in his cell and he got on his knees. He was fixing to be taken to the gallows. He's on his knees and he's praying. One of the doctors there at that prison was listening to Dietrich Bonhoeffer pray. He watched Dietrich Bonhoeffer get up from his time of prayer and walk to the gallows. He saw Dietrich Bonhoeffer die. And he says, I've never encountered another person who is so submissive to will of God, even the will of God, to die for Jesus Christ. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew that death was just his final station in this life to get to the next. And he was ready to meet his Savior. And there was nothing the enemy could do to hurt him at all. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer's death has become a platform for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That is our great hope. Jesus Christ is life. And you are an overcomer in Christ. We can't afford to get distracted in the spiritual battle. You know that, right? We're battling for flesh and blood. We can't afford to get distracted. I don't know if any of you have been following this little social media story about Revelation chapter 12. If you haven't, I'm not encouraging you to go check it out. But if you have, I want to help you a little bit. There's a story floating around social media that on September 23rd, 13 days, 2017, the constellations in the sky are going to line up and be a very close representation 
of the very first scene in Revelation 12. The woman will be the constellation Virgo. The moon will be at her feet. The sun will be over her left shoulder, clothing her in sun. At her head will be the constellation Leo and the three planets, Mercury, Mars, and Venus. And then close to her, what would be her womb will be the king planet, Jupiter. And so it really does appear that what's happening in the constellations on September 23rd, 2017, give a pretty good reflection of what we read in the first scene of Revelation 12. And there are some people who are saying, because the constellations are doing this, that Jesus Christ is coming back on September 23rd. So I want to help you with that, all right? Because we can't afford to get distracted. And if you start looking into stuff like that, I promise you this, you're going to get distracted. And we can't afford it. So, there's no doubt that God uses the constellations, that they're a clock, that he's set up and they show certain things. But whatever's being revealed in the constellations at any given time in history is never more clear than what God has said in his word. The clearest signs of what God says are right here in the Bible. And when people say that when these constellations happen like this on September 23rd, it's the most unique event in history, never happened in 3,000 years, we can argue that all day long, but here's the bottom line. Whatever's going on in the, in the constellations on September 23rd is not more clear than what we have right here. And what we have right here says that no one's going to know the day or the hour Jesus is coming. So I'm going to bank on what's here, not what people are saying that the constellations are talking about. Now, there are people that are not saying he's coming back on that day. It's just something big's going to happen. Again, we need to rely on what's clear. We cannot afford to be distracted. And what's clear in the Bible says Jesus Christ is coming like a thief in the night. You will not know when, so you better be ready. You, you know, the only prediction about Jesus' coming that's going to be right is the person who predicts it every day. They'll be able to say, well, I told you so. <laughs> but that's exactly what the Bible is telling us. Live like it could be any day. Because you can't afford to be distracted. Because we are in a spiritual battle for souls. Let's just say we knew that Jesus Christ was coming back in 13 days. Say we knew that. If that freaks you out a little bit and you think, man, I better be getting ready. If he's coming back in 13 days, I got some things to get in order. Perhaps you ought to get him in order today. Because you and I cannot afford to be lazy about this spiritual battle. Because the enemy is raging. And he wants us to be ineffective. Because we are the hope of the world. And as we battle in the victory of Christ, our world needs to hear and see the gospel through us. There is no other way. We're overcomers.
He's coming back. So let's live like it. Amen.